Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN Certification, offering professional nursing certifications in over a dozen specialties and subspecialties, with information available at aacn.org forward slash credentials. Now, here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. This is Connie Barden, and I'm so excited today to get to talk to my own colleague, Joanne Connick-McMahon, who's a certification practice specialist here at AACN in our certification corporation. Joanne, welcome. Thank you, Connie. I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy you're excited because you are a trove of knowledge and experience, especially on all things about nurses new to practice, whether it is nurses straight out of their BSN program or advanced practice nurses. So I can't wait to pick that brain of yours. Thank you. But before we do, why don't you start by telling um, our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey as a nurse, because you just have years and years of uh, immense experience around all this stuff. Yes, well, I graduated back in the day in the mid-70s from Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then straight off went to the University of Pennsylvania, which was a wonderful way to grow up as a nurse and had the opportunity to have so many mentors there, um, clinical nurse specialist mentors, nurse practitioner mentors. It was just a great environment um, and one that I hope and pray that uh, the new nurses that I help to educate today might be able to um, be in a similar situation. I was mentored there to uh, join the local AACN chapter, which was uh, another great experience and a great networking experience. And uh, from there, and because the University of Pennsylvania paid for tuition, I was lucky enough to finish my master's in nursing education at Villanova University. And so from there, went on to do a variety of clinical um, precepting for nursing programs for undergraduate, and then also helped uh, with the new acute care nurse practitioner program that was happening at the University of Penn in the late 90s. So helped to teach classes for that, as well as to do um, clinical faculty. And then um, moved to the Harrisburg area and actually worked here in a clinical progressive care and critical care area. And then eventually worked for about a year and a half at the Pennsylvania State Board of Nursing. It was um, as a nursing education advisor. Um, So I had the opportunity to work with and verify that nursing programs were meeting the state standards. It was a wonderful experience. I got to meet great faculty and great students. Um, Went back to clinical for a while and then applied for a job at AACN in certification. I was looking for something with a more national kind of flavor. Was lucky enough to be hired here at AACN and have loved every minute of it since. That is a great summary of a great career. Thank you for that. And certainly, you know, I've worked with you for a number of years, but I didn't remember that thing about working at the State Board of Nursing and helps me really remind myself of why you are indeed our resident expert on so many of these things. Thank you for that, Joanne. Let's start out talking not about advanced practice, but about undergraduate nurses getting out into practice. It almost seems like it would be a scary place to be, to be thinking of getting out new to practice now. What are you seeing in the healthcare market that you would say to new nurses, like, here's some things you ought to be considering given the situation that you're stepping out into in this exciting new career called being a nurse? 
I had the opportunity to be a clinical faculty at a local university for the last seven or eight years and uh, did so this spring. So it's a final leadership course. And um, my students, you know, they were very anxious to get out into the work area, as are all senior nursing students, right? You can hardly wait to be a real nurse. I certainly encourage them to look for a place, um, first of all, that they should be interviewing the job sites that they're looking for. They should be knowing what sort of a nurse manager um, they would like to work with and for. They want to look at the culture of the unit as they walk around and perhaps they would like to shadow. I always suggest that they ask if there's an opportunity to shadow another nurse for a couple of hours just to kind of see what it it really looks like um, on that unit. And then to hear from the nurse educator who works on that unit as well, to hear what the plan is for preceptors. Um, And is there any sort of a residency program um, that they might be part of where they can get support and education off the unit, um, have some time away from the unit in that residency program? So those are kind of the things I, I encourage new nurses to look for and to really consider, you know, how long will they want to work on a unit like that? And then also, what are sort of their long-term goals? And, you know, Connie, one of the surprising things to me was uh, one of their assignments that I asked them to complete was, uh, what is the professional organization that you will join, nursing organization, after you graduate, right? Um, I tell them all the time about AACN and, you know, what we provide for nurses and why a professional organization is so important. I had students who were pediatric prone and emergency department prone. And it was an eye-opening experience for them. They did not realize the benefits of professional organizations. And so I think that is another key area that I highly encourage. And I, again, encourage them to look at certification down the road when they're ready, right? Because that can do so much to enhance your career path. Wow, that is a cliff notes of sage advice to people getting out of school. Let me ask you something Uh, Again, I guess about new nurses, we're in the kind of post-pandemic era nearing the end of 2022 right now while you and I are talking. And I think the pandemic has had all of us have some new probably reverence for public health that we never had before. What kind of advice would you give a new nurse, even though going into acute care, about how we bring this public health lens into our work now that we've sort of woken up to the concept of public health? and how it impacts acute care. So I think schools of nursing are recognizing that and um, highly emphasizing things like social determinants of health and the impact that a patient's life outside the progressive care and ICU environment, how impactful that is on how they come into us, to the hospital, to the acute care setting, and then the challenges that we might be sending folks out into. So I thought that perhaps more of my new grads might be interested in public health as a starting point, Um, but they kind of still come from this traditional mode where, you know, our faculty said we should go and do a, a year or two of med surge. And you know what, that's okay. That's okay. But we're all now at a place in time where we realize how important things like vaccinations 
and or not getting those vaccinations, how much that impacts the patient care that we provide in acute care. So really thinking about those kind of questions as you move forward in your nursing career and you're at a point where you're helping documentation specialists to put together an admission history um, documentation, really thinking about the very most important questions that need to be there that help us to inform the care that we provide in our progressive and ICU environments. You know, as I'm listening to you talk, Joanne, what I'm realizing, well, we already know this, there are not too many good things we can say that came out of this pandemic. However, you're making me realize that an appreciation for public health and what it teaches us about our patients, exactly what you're saying, that if I'm getting a bad sick patient who's diabetic and heart failure and this and that from one locale, they may look different and have different needs to me than if they're coming from another locale with different resources and different things that impact their health. So maybe that awareness of public health and how it impacts us is at least one little silver lining to a dreadful thing called a pandemic. Very insightful. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Let me switch to another sort of newish concept that I know very little bit about, tell you the truth. And it's a thing that's emerging now called dedicated education units. Um, What can you tell us about those? So that's a kind of emerging idea and concept, although I've heard it mentioned over the years in education that wouldn't that be a great idea? The idea that there is a specific unit within a healthcare facility that receives new graduates and the preceptors there want to be preceptors. They have the gifts and the talents to be a good preceptor. They know how to enhance critical thinking for a new graduate. They know how to advance and and sometimes how to um, challenge a new graduate. Also how to give constructive advice um, around things that we might be able to do better. So Um, A unit, a med surge unit is usually what I'm seeing uh, with usually some sort of telemetry monitoring, other kinds of monitoring available. And then preceptors who are dedicated to that unit, the graduates may stay on that unit for a month or two. I've seen as long sometimes as four to six months Mm -hmm. um, to get the kind of basic skills and organization. You know, that is so much what a new graduate is really wanting. They want to be able to organize their day so that they can get as much of the care done as they possibly can, right? So this would be a precepted unit where people are very skilled at helping graduates to gain that talent and that skill. Oh, that is brilliant. I wasn't that familiar with the concept. And what you made me think of in talking about preceptors, you mentioned people who have the gifts and talents to be a preceptor, who want to be a preceptor. And I would say that in probably way more places than not, uh, nowadays, we have people being preceptors left and right. Uh, They may or may not have an interest, but they've got to do it because we need new nurses into a unit. And sometimes preceptors actually don't have a whole lot of clinical experience themselves. So talk about that concept a little bit. There might be things to think about if you are that nurse coming in to a preceptor that's not super experienced, but also any messages for the preceptors themselves who find themselves in this uh, position. So my students were very concerned about this idea because I think they saw that when they went on interviews, how 
how young the preceptors were who were um, teaching others at that point. And, you know, what I encouraged them to consider was, um, first of all, that that preceptor is very much aware of where you, the new graduate, has come from, right? How much clinical skill or not you have gained in your nursing program. So they are not going to expect you to be doing things that you are not ready to do, right? They are very much aware of what you don't know because they've just been there themselves. The second thing I encourage them to do is to always identify who is the resource person. Is it the charge nurse? Is there another more experienced nurse? Is the nurse educator going to be available to be a resource for my questions as well as my preceptor's questions, right? And you know, for a preceptor, that's a scary place to be, right? To be out of school for a year and now you're teaching someone else. Um, but again, you know, People don't always realize the, the skill they do have. Probably the most important thing for that new preceptor is to recognize their own limitations and to identify for themselves, who is my resource person? And to ask my nurse manager, who will be my resource person tonight when the new graduate asks me a question or asks me to help them with a skill that I haven't done myself, right? Who's gonna be my resource? Really sage advice. And I think it's it's heartening to hear that students are concerned about it. But what I'm hearing you say is it doesn't necessarily have to be an insurmountable challenge. There are just new and different ways that we think about it and new and different things we can put into place to navigate this because it's just what's so right now, which is uh, people who have less experience than, than you and me and so forth are in these positions. And I had never thought about that if you're only a year or two out of school, you can connect with a new graduate way more than you or I can who've been out of school for quite some time. That's a really great way of looking at it. Joanne, I wanna ask you before I forget, a little while ago, you mentioned uh, certification, even in thinking about this as something to ponder if you were a newish nurse. Talk a little bit about that. I know it's one of your loves, certification. So tell us about that. As a new graduate, Certification might not be at the tip of your tongue, but just like a professional organization and joining a professional organization that will support you and provide a continuing education and networking opportunities, certification should be one of your goals um, in whatever field you're in. So uh, several years ago, Kanye, I was so thrilled. I had mentored one of the new nurses on the progressive care unit I worked on to uh, take the PCCN exam. And she passed, right? She passed. I was so excited. And she came to me and she told me she passed. And then she said, but Joanne, I so enjoyed everything I learned. What do I do now? I learned so much studying for the progressive care exam. What's next for me? And I said, I don't know, but we'll figure something out. <laughs> As an educator, oh, my heart was filled, Connie, filled so much. So that is how I kind of encourage people that you will Yes, you will validate the knowledge that you have, but you will also learn as you prepare for your certification exam. And to the point where sometimes like my colleague, you um, just want to learn more. So she ended up actually going back for um, a nursing education master's, which I was, again, so thrilled because she definitely had the skills and talent for that. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think every nurse who ever became, in your case, you're talking about the progressive care certification, PCCN or CCRN 
or any of those variations on the theme, everyone remembers where they were when they got the word mm -hmm. that they passed or when the computer jumped up and said, yeah, you passed, whatever it is. I think everybody kind of remembers that kind of like when you get the results of your state board yes. scores. Yes, yes. Now, speaking of that, and that nurse that moved into, uh, in that case, a nursing education role, a lot of nurses are coached and mentored even in their undergraduate program about your, your education doesn't stop here. There's graduate school and a host of advanced practice options you can consider. What do you think are some of the first steps that a nurse ought to take in deciding what to do about that? Do I go back to school? How do I know what I'm interested in? How to choose? How does a nurse start around that? So, you know, Connie, there are so many choices, right? That's the great thing about nursing. Uh, you know, you work for a while in one um, specialty area, and then you perhaps move to another specialty area. The same is true in APRN education, I believe, and uh, master's programs. So I always encourage nurses who are interested in pursuing a graduate um, degree to perhaps shadow um, someone in there. So if you're interested in a CRNA um, education um, in that sort of a position, um, you know, talk with one of the CRNAs that you work with and see if you might shadow them for a morning or for a couple of hours. Uh, likewise, for an acute care nurse practitioner or a family nurse practitioner, a nurse educator, you know, spend some time just sort of seeing what they do. What is their routine look like? And does that fit what I want to do? Then the next thing to do really is to, if you're considering an APRN role, for instance, is to really um, do two things. The first is to look at the state in which you live or the state where you'd like to live to look at the Board of Nursing regulations and see what those regulations say in regard to the role that you might like to have. So if you're interested in being a pediatric clinical nurse specialist, for example, look at the regulations and see where the APRN regulations are for that particular board of nursing because they are different state by state. We are an America of 50 states and we have 50 state boards of nursing plus the territories and they all have a little bit of a difference to them. So um, take a look at the state in which you wanna work, what their APRN regulations look like if you're interested in a CNS or a nurse practitioner or a CRNA or a CNM uh, role. And then the next thing to do is to look at the job opportunities in that area. Um, so, you know, go online and kind of search for um, CNS pediatric positions. How many are coming up? What do they look like? Are they in institutions that I might like to work in? And so then you've gathered some information and you also know from those job opportunities what are they asking for? You know, are they asking for um, a master's or are they looking for a DNP? And that might help also to inform the sort of education that you might want to look at. I think that is such brilliant advice. I have to say that when I got out of my program a number of years ago, I didn't get such sage advice. And then, and then many years later, when the nurse practitioner role sort of became popularized, people just said, oh yeah, I wanna be a nurse practitioner, but this is really good uh, advice to maybe pause, go shadow the role, see what it really brings with it. Look at the state where you wanna live. Whoever thought of that? Because every single state has different regulations that impact how you're able to practice. 
and look at what job opportunities exist. If you get yourself in an Uber specialist position, there won't be a lot of job opportunities perhaps available to you. Really great advice. Speaking of continuing to educate us on this, you know, there's been a lot lately in the news about changes that have been made to the clinical hours that are required. And I think it's specific to nurse practitioner roles. Update us a little bit on that and your thoughts around those clinical hour requirements. Right, so the clinical hour requirements for nurse practitioners uh, have been recommended to be changed um, by the nurse practitioner faculty as, as well as other standard setting organizations um, in the future. And certification organizations as well as accreditation organizations like CCNE and um, state boards of nursing are still pondering what that will look like. Will that be something that they will uh, want to put in place as part of their standards? You know, I think that um, the organizations who put them forth are very hopeful um, that all will step up and um, accept those um, standards of increased clinical hours, but that's really yet to be determined. And as a certification organization, we will wait to see what the boards of nursing, we work so closely with boards of nursing and they ultimately are who provides a license um, to um, nurse practitioners and APRN. So we really want to, to watch and see where they're headed in terms of their regulations. And we also know that changing regulations like an increase in clinical hours is a process for most state governments. It is not an easy process. I learned that very well at the State Board of Nursing. It is a process, right? And so it will not be a six-month or even a 12-month adventure, I doubt. I think it will be several years um, before we actually see that instituted by boards of nursing. Well, speaking of things that would have to change over time, let me ask you to give us an update on this requirement for the DNP, doctorate in nursing practice, as entry into practice for advanced practice. Where are we with that across the country? So again, you know, the organizations who set standards, um, the nurse practitioner faculty, the nurse practitioner organization, as well as the CRNA and the CNS organizations, practice organizations, have all recommended the DNP as entry to practice. At this point in time, what we know is that um, less than 10% of our graduates uh, from APRN programs have DNPs. Now that is increasing. We absolutely see increased numbers, but until those numbers become higher, um, there will be no changes in the requirements. And again, we will wait for our colleagues, the accreditors of educational programs, as well as the State Board of Nursing to let us know how they see that DNP and will they make that a requirement because that will inform our board's decision as well. This is really complicated and intermingled stuff, isn't it? And, yes. and, and it's all about ultimately the safety of the patient. Absolutely. At the end of the day, that is what we were all achieving, hoping to achieve, along with full practice authority. Yeah. So whether we're talking about the certification angle, the licensure angle, practicing at the top of license, all of those things are about the best care to the patient in a safe manner. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you another thing in terms of things changing. You know, if I was a nurse now looking at a graduate program, I would I would look online or wherever, and I'd see, oh, here's these certain programs I can go in person 
There's another program where I can go hybrid. Sometimes I'm in person, sometimes I'm online. And then there are other programs completely online. What would you say are things that folks ought to consider in even choosing a program because they are so diverse? Not only diverse in offerings, but in price and all kinds of other things. So how would somebody pick the best program to suit their needs? That's a great question, Connie. And so I frequently talk with folks about this um, through um, presentations as well as one-on-one conversations that folks write into Certification Corporation and ask us those kind of questions. And my response is, it really depends on where you are in terms of your own life cycle. And how do you learn best? Do you learn best in an online environment? Is that Is that really good for you and good learning for you? Or do you prefer a classroom? And like you said, many programs these days are hybrid. They'll do the first three um, key courses, pathophysiology, physical assessment, and pharmacology. They'll do those online frequently and then have you come in for some clinical time to go along with your online didactic learning. But one thing to be concerned about online programs, online clinicals especially, you want to be aware that some state boards of nursing have regulated the amount of online clinical experiences that can be had in their state. And a good online program will have a list on their website of states in which clinical hours may not be acceptable for that particular online program, either because the state board of nursing has regulated them or perhaps sometimes they have not gone through the State Board of Nursing to be an approved provider of education. Um, So look for, if you're looking at an online program and they are so attractive and many of them provide very good education, you want to be sure, however, that you will be able to achieve a clinical experience in the state in which you are, um, that the board is not regulating that in some way. Um, The other thing to consider is who will be your preceptors. Preceptors are very hard commodity these days. And so you want to have a fairly good idea if you're going to choose an online program, because you will frequently be asked to choose your own preceptors there, um, that you have access to those individuals. Um, So those are some of the considerations. If you're in a preceptor-rich environment, your state board does not regulate clinical experiences, and an online learning um, environment is what you desire and the way that you learn best, then that might be the choice that you make. But you want to consider all the angles. Wow. Whoever knew that one should really pause and consider all of these things. It's really sage advice for people making that choice. Thank you for that. Related to that, um, I know lately there's been some concern, some conversation about the number of APRNs mm-hmm. who um, get out now with their degree, but perhaps have never practiced as a staff nurse, might have gone right through undergraduate and then to graduate school, and now are in a position of practicing as an APRN. What do we know about that, and how are people coping with that situation? So we're still looking at that. I believe um, my prediction would be that we will see more of that in the future, that that will be the way that we provide education for advanced practice nurses in the future, especially when we go to the DNP. One of the things that I would recommend to those individuals who are graduating from a program where they have not had any kind of staff nurse experience, um, I would recommend that they go to an APRN setting where they have 
very strong preceptors. So there is a very strong APRN presence. People absolutely know what the role is about for someone who has not had any staff nurse um, education or clinical experience. I would definitely recommend that they not go to a position where they are the only provider. That would be a very hard role to be successful in, I think. You really want a strong mentoring program. Not only do you want to deliver the best care for the patient, that's always the goal, but you also don't want to set yourself up for failure or even for liability or a situation where you can't perform as you want to perform it there. And I could keep asking you questions, but we don't have the time. So let me wrap up with all the things that you're seeing, a lot of changes over time. Joanne, when you look at it, what's going on with nurses new to practice, advanced practice nursing, post-pandemic, all of the certification, licensure, all that stuff, what makes you hopeful? Connie, there are two things that make me hopeful. The first is my new graduates um, from their senior leadership seminar and their excitement about going out to be a nurse. Yes. You know, it kind of brings tears to my eyes, to be perfectly honest. They know Joanne did not paint a rosy picture necessarily, right? We dealt with reality. We dealt with how wonderful patient care is in acute and progressive care and wherever you practice, how wonderful it is. Um, But there's a reality. But they were so excited to be a nurse. They were so excited. And, you know, the second thing that really encourages me, and I know that there's been some news reports about the public's treatment of nurses and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But I have to say, for the majority of people, nursing remains a profession that they admire. And they are so thankful. Um, People thank me all the time when I tell them I'm a nurse. And I believe that we have come through this pandemic in a much better place. And I know there have been things that have come forward that are not good. I totally recognize that. But I believe that nursing as a profession has been recognized as essential in the healthcare system. And we will sit at tables of power in the future, which is where we need to be. What a beautiful wrap up. You know, this is a podcast series around leadership. Joanne Connick-McMahon, my colleague here at AACN, what a legend you are in terms of leader and and depth of knowledge. I could listen to you talk all day. I love listening to really smart people who really know their stuff, and that's exactly who you are. You have such a deep knowledge. You have such a wisdom. You are a wise counsel to nurses new to practice, nurses new to advanced practice, knowing legislation, regulation, et cetera. I just can't thank you enough for sharing that with us. You make me think that even in nursing and even in healthcare, most anything is possible. So thank you, Joanne, for joining us today. Thank you, Connie. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN Certification with information available at aacn.org forward slash credentials. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.